Hello, friends. Welcome to In With The Old. We are a podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, and rediscovering the Old Testament for the life of faith. Welcome to episode two. Today, we're going to be talking about what the Old Testament is to a Christian. And so, uh, what we want to do up front here, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Koning. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Tim. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm excited for our episode today. Yeah, this so, is going to be a good one. It will be. So, Brian, walk, walk us into this a little bit. We're, we're going to start with defining the Old Testament. What is it? And, and especially, what is the Old Testament to a modern Christian? So kick, kick us off today and get us started on this subject. Yeah, so this is the academic side of me going, all right, if we're going to have uh, talk about anything of substance, we need to define terms and we need to talk about <laughs> what do we mean when we say the Old Testament? Okay, it's a collection of books. It's 39 books in the Protestant canon. It's more if you follow a Catholic or Orthodox tradition. Uh, but we need to start by just kind of setting some boundaries. And, and I'm thinking, Tim, as we're talking here, we want to set boundaries that maybe get at misconceptions and highlight what the Old Testament is within the canon itself, how the Bible interprets itself. So mm -hmm. to accomplish that, I think it's important we do this up front, and this is why this is episode two for us. But mm -hmm. I want us to talk and think about this question from two sides. I want to talk about what the Old Testament isn't, that is, mistakes or myths or misconceptions that we might have about it. And then I want to talk about what the Old Testament is. Now, some listeners might be going, well, this is silly. I know what the Old Testament is. I can give you a quick and simple definition. But there's a little more subtlety here, isn't there, Tim? Uh, yeah. yeah. You can read literature that says, well, is the Old Testament, is it pre-Christian? Is it sub-Christian? Right? What actually is it when you get down to brass tacks? So that's what we're going to start with here. I want to talk about what the Old Testament isn't. And what the Old Testament isn't, first of all, it isn't irrelevant to the story of God. I've uh, proselytized that has shared my faith. Tim, I know you have as well. When I was being trained, I went to Campus Crusade back in college. And nice. when people were saying, hey, here's how you share your faith, there was this little something called the Roman Road. Were you, did you use the Roman Road, Tim? Is that how you were trained as well in like high school or college? Oh, yeah. Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 10. Get them saved. Yes. Boom, boom, boom. The Roman <laughs> road. Simple, easy. And that's all, that, that's all great. Well, I'm not at all disparaging using the Romans road. It works very well. But I do want us to ask a question. When we're talking about the story of God, how does the Old Testament fit in? And maybe more pertinent to what we're talking about today, when Jesus wanted to tell people about who he was, do you know what he didn't use? He didn't use the Roman road, right? Paul hadn't written that yet. But yes. instead, when Jesus wanted to explain who he was, where did he go? He went to the Old Testament. Two stories really jump out at my mind. I'll be curious, Tim, if any jump out to you. But um, the first yeah. one is the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. So mm. in the Gospel of Luke, this is after Jesus' death, resurrection. He's walking on the road. He appears uh, to these two guys, and they're talking about all these events going, wow, it's crazy. We don't know what's going on. Um, and, and Jesus is like, well, okay, do you know what happened? And they're like, not really. It was kind of odd. It's strange. There's this guy named Jesus. He's dead now. And Jesus kind of ex in an exacerbated way goes, 
didn't you understand? <laughs> Shouldn't you have already known? <laughs> and Luke says, starting with Moses and then the prophets, he explained everything concerning himself. I find that fascinating. When Jesus wanted to explain about the whole importance of the gospel story, he didn't go to Romans. He didn't go to the gospels themselves. He said, go to the Old Testament. You should be able to know that from there. Similarly, in John chapter 3, very famous chapter, right? Although we seemingly yes. usually only know the one verse, John 316. Uh, but mm-hmm. at the start of that chapter, Jesus is having dinner with a rabbi named Nicodemus. Uh, and it's a fun story because they're talking past each other, right? Jesus is being spiritual and giving these deep truths, and Nicodemus keeps going to a very literal level. Uh, and Jesus talks about being born again. Nicodemus goes, I'm a grown man. I can't, you know, physically <laughs> enter my mom. Dude, I don't know what you're <laughs> what you're getting at yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus rebukes Nicodemus, doesn't he? And it's really interesting if you go and see what he says. He says, aren't you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Isn't that fascinating rebuke? He's a rabbi. And Jesus, in some way, is saying, why aren't you getting what I'm putting down? Because you are a teacher of Israel. You have studied scriptures. You should have understood what I'm telling you. I find that fascinating. The Old Testament is the story of the gospel, or it it should lead us to it, right? Jesus seems to say that himself. So the first thing I want to say the Old Testament isn't is that it's, uh, it isn't irrelevant to the story of God. You know, both of those stories are hilarious in their own right for many reasons. I love the fact that when Jesus uh, speaks to the two disciples on the mm-hmm. road to Emmaus, yep. he really plays with them, you know? And, and, and he says, you know, tell, tell, they, they say, are you the only one who doesn't know about these things? And he says, tell me, you know, tell me about these things. You know, they're trying to tell him about what happened in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Jesus is just like, oh yeah, you know, he plays dumb, even though they, they have no clue who he is. But both, both of those texts really use mm-hmm. that image of, of spiritual blindness, Right. And, and, you know, in the case of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize Jesus because their eyes have not yet been opened. And even the, the word that Jesus uses to describe, you know, teaching about himself is the word it's similar to the word we translate exegete, which if you're not familiar with that terminology, it's, it's kind of a technical word that means rightly reading the scriptures or drawing out of the scriptures their actual meaning. And same thing with Nicodemus, right? I mean, as John 3 continues, uh, John quotes from uh, the book of Numbers, right? Just as the servant was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so uh, I, I think I think is, is and, and we could add many more. I mean, you think of the Bereans who searched the Scriptures to see if what the apostles were saying was would be true, you know, according to the Scriptures. That's the, In other words, God's intention for us is not to say, Trust me because the apostles are telling you. You know, the apostles said, trust us because the Old Testament says it's true. And so uh, I love, you know, I think you said this in the last episode, that idea of the Old Testament as a foundation. Uh, But also, I I think it's almost hard to describe. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, scholarship going on right now about how the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. Brian, I know you did a a book review recently of uh, a great new work that's out, but um, 
I think it's it's even deeper than the fact that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament extensively. It, it's like the entire worldview, and and we can use that world worldview word worldview, or we could talk about you know the story of God or the story of redemption. Like every part of their world and their thought was formed fundamentally by the Old Testament, and so it, it's almost ironic that we have to say it. Uh, but it's true. It, the Old Testament isn't irrelevant to the story of God. The Old Testament literally is the story of God, and uh, without it, we would we would be totally lost. Uh, but with it, we are incredibly equipped. So the Old Testament isn't irrelevant to the story of God. But maybe we should also add now the same or the other side of the coin. The Old Testament isn't the entire story of God either. Right, we want to put up guard posts. There's a, a tendency, I think, in the human condition to, when we see a problem, to overcorrect. And so, what we don't want to do is, in a podcast, mm-hmm. trying to yeah. hype up the Old Testament to denigrate the New Testament. Right? The Old Testament brings us to a point, but we still need right. the works of the New Testament. We still need the Gospels. We still need the letters to the churches. We still need the Book of Revelation to complete, right? In a quite literal sense, complete the story of God to see where it all ends. I think we're right. We both want to be clear here. The Old Testament isn't irrelevant to the story of God, neither is it the whole story, but rather it's going to be part of this grand narrative and we've used the word foundation for the New Testament itself. I think that's so important. And and I think it's important to say up front, you know, one of our goals here is to be faithful to the Old Testament. And and I think it's important as we think of it in, in a story or a narrative form, I think that's so helpful. Why? Because as we read the Old Testament, at every major juncture, there is there is a, a a sense that the story isn't finished. You know, you you could say the end of the book of Genesis, right? Jacob dies, he blesses, and he says, "Okay, you know, uh, Joseph eventually dies, and and he says, don't leave my bones here, but take them back." And then we're ushered into Exodus, and the same thing. But when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, or when you get to the end of, uh, you know, the historical literature, when you get to the end of the prophets, especially, there's this sense that man, this this river is moving downstream, and we can't quite see around the bend to where it leads, but it's very obvious that we're on a moving current. And so, as we think about the unfolding of the old into the new. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The new claims to be the authoritative take on what God was doing all along. And so absolutely, it, the whole story can only be understood as you have the old and the new together. We absolutely need them both. Another thing the Old Testament isn't, is it isn't something to be ashamed of. And I feel like I need to apologize to my English grammar teachers because we're we're having a lot of double negatives here. <laughs> but uh, it, the Old Testament <laughs> isn't something to be ashamed yeah, of, is it? Tim? Yeah. No, no, it's not. And uh, speaking of our, uh, you know, our English teachers, uh, I love the words of Winston Churchill: "Ending a sentence with a preposition is something up with which I will not put." And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna be pretty lenient on our English grammar, and that's okay. Uh, but no, I mean it, it. It's not only is it not something to be ashamed about, uh, but but in terms of in terms of understanding its importance, it's something that we have to truly learn to cherish. And and I don't mean cherish in the sense of you know elevating it. 
uh, or or exalting in in the text or somehow uh, you know idolizing it. But at the same time, you know, I, I go back and and I did a little digging on that that article we talked about last time. It was so interesting because uh, that article that mentioned the top hundred verses in systematic theologies it broke down into the theological categories that that systematics often follow. It broke down the branches of theology uh, and what verses used uh, or were used in those certain branches and. And it was interesting, the verses, or the branch that used the Old Testament verses, and we, we said last time that the verses used most were in Genesis and there was one in Isaiah, the branch of theology that used the Old Testament verses most was anthropology. And if, if you're not familiar with that term as our listeners, anthropology essentially means the study of humanity or humanity's origins, and so it makes sense uh, that the story of our origin would use the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament is the only place that tells the story of our origin. Here's what I would would pose in terms of it not some being something to be ashamed about. You know, as we think about the teachings of the Old Testament, there are some hard teachings. There are some things that culturally seem to us almost backwards. There are some commands that we think, well, how... How could God have commanded his people to do that? Or how would that be morally justified or, or those kinds of things? But w- when we think about the Old Testament, I hope that we can rediscover something beautiful about it. And, and I'm often drawn to the, to the story of our origins because I think the stories in Genesis 1 and 2, and, and I don't use the word story to mean that it's not historical. I just mean the narrative form of the text itself. When we read these stories, there is a beauty to it. That, that the Bible tells us about who we are and, and how we are made and how we're shaped in the image of God. The Bible talks about the beauty of man and woman coming together as, as designed for each other. And even in those first chapters, it tells us so much about our relationship with God and the glory and the harmony and the joy that God created for us in this world. And then, of course, the story unravels very quickly in Genesis 3 and beyond and, and the darkness and the chaos that really abounds and follows. But the Old Testament, to me, really points us back to the beauty that we were designed for. It shows us God's plan in bringing that beauty back despite human sin. And without the Old Testament, we lose, we, we completely lose uh, uh, the sense of awe and grandeur and worship uh, that, that God wants us to have, both in terms of how we see the world and it pointing back to him. You think of Psalm 19, uh, but also in terms of of understanding and giving us categories that help us make sense of the world. Uh, it's not something to be ashamed about. It's something that's beautiful. Yes, there are difficult passages, and, and part of the reason for this podcast is to address some of those. But man, uh, there's such a beauty there that, that we want to recapture and, and let it help shape our lives and our view of the world today. And I think building off of that, Tim, there's the, when you mention difficult passages— Part mm-hmm. of the beauty of those to me is that you rarely grow or improve when things are easy. Some of the deepest growth, yes. and this can apply to many areas of life, but speaking of like my spiritual growth and my connection to God, it's through wrestling with difficult texts that I think we see some of the most important truths. The gospel story itself is something even children can comprehend, but how 
do we live as people in a sinful world seeking after God? How does God engage with sinners? We clearly know these are not simple questions. And so part of what I love from the Old Testament as well, not just the beauty and the grandeur, I loved how you phrased that though, because the the Genesis story calls us into that. But then it begins very honestly and very bluntly, frankly, uh, talking about the sinful condition. And it leaves us with interesting questions that force us to not just read something and go, yes, I now know the truth, but to wrestle with things. Part of my dissertation work is I worked with the book of Habakkuk and the book of Job. And these are two stories chock full with people going, how can this be? I have a Mm. knowledge of God, and then I have an experience of God, and they don't always quite line up. And I want to wrestle with that. And when we think of difficult texts, uh, I'm reminded of a a quote. It's from a a Spanish theologian, Miguel de Unamuno, or philosopher, rather. Uh, And he said, those that say they believe in God, but neither love him nor fear him, do not in fact believe in him. But they only believe in those that taught them that God exists. Those who believe that they believe in God, but without any passion in their heart, without anguish of, of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, without an element of despair, even in their consolation, believe only in the idea of God and not God himself. Part of the difficult texts of the Old Testament that I love is that it forces me to ask, do I just believe in the picture of God that I've created in the comfort of my own life? Do I only believe in God that fits all of my hopes and dreams, or do I believe in God as he truly is? Because as he truly is, is something greater than I can imagine, greater than I often put him out to be. And so the Old Testament isn't something to be ashamed of. It's something to drive us forward, I think, to a deeper and richer understanding of who God is. Yeah, beautifully said, and I love that quote. Uh, It reminds me of something uh, I heard a pastor say one time. He said, doubt may not be a sign of weakness. It may be a sign that you're thinking. And oh, that's good. of course, as Christians, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and I love this too, because, you know, even thinking about the narratives of Genesis, what, what I love about it is the contrast between the beauty we see, but the rawness. I mean, the, the chosen family of Abraham. Uh, I love, I, I teach high school students uh, in, in, a, in a class setting. We're going through the Old Testament right now, and, and I love sharing with them, you know, the chosen family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, you know, the 12 sons and, and all of the family drama that goes with it. And, and truly, I, I think as, as we read about, you know, the, the, the four wives of Jacob or two wives and two concubines, however you want to, you know, cut it out, or the family drama between Rebecca and Isaac residing, you know, regarding Jacob and Esau and, and not to mention Abraham. And, and you know, it's, it's so fascinating because I think it actually brings comfort when we realize how broken that world was you know mm-hmm. jerry springer doesn't have anything on the chosen families and and yet when we think about our own brokenness it just reminds us god is not afraid and god is not unable to work in the midst of brokenness he's been doing it all along and i think the old testament in particular shows us uh both the height of glory the, the descent into sin, but also the God who through it all is moving us to the destination of salvation. And, uh, and that's not, you know, there, there are parts of all of our stories personally, right, that we have reason to be ashamed of. 
But the fact that God recorded those stories uh, is a sign of his love. And I love what you said, Brian, that he allows us to wrestle through those and ultimately through those questions to find him. Yeah, excellent point. One last thing the Old Testament isn't is that it isn't a story written to us, Tim, right? So yes, we want to be careful here. We aren't saying the Old Testament isn't for us. It absolutely is for us. It's We're going to talk about it in a mm-hmm. moment. It's the Word of God. It's part of the story. But as we kind of talked about in episode one, it's not written to us. It's written in a time and culture. And so it's going to swim in the river of that culture, as it were. Uh, the ancient Near mm-hmm. East of Israel has images, has ideas, and the Old Testament is going to engage with those. It's going to subvert those sometimes. But we need to remember mm-hmm. that, that it's not a story written to us, but it is a story written for us. I think sometimes we get into trouble with the Old Testament when we come to it with 21st century American or Western eyes and go, we want it to address the questions that we pose from our perspective. We want it to address uh, and we want to have God use the categories we would use. But that's not the case, is it? The Old Testament was speaking to a culture of its time and speaking in a way that God could be understood by those people, just as we can now understand him. Um, but we'll need to do that work as we dig through the Old Testament to really appreciate some of the messages. So we talked a little bit yeah. about what the Old Testament isn't, Tim. Let's get to the positive mm-hmm. stuff, though. What is the Old Testament then? Yeah. And when we think about what the Old Testament is, the Old Testament is first and foremost, the word of God. And, uh, and by the way, that's why it was preserved, right? Because the, the Hebrew people, the Israelites believed that these words given to them by God were worth preserving. And, uh, and they believed they had that, that application that endured through the ages. And, uh, so as we think about the Word of God, I know, Brian, you talked about this last podcast. You know, Second Timothy 3, Paul talks about the, the graphene, right? The writings, the scriptures that were God-breathed. And that, of course, for Paul, referred primarily to the Old Testament. And I love, by the way, the end of Second Timothy, where he says, you know, hey, Timothy, I'm here in prison, and, you know, if you can bring me something when you come, bring me my, my cloak that, that I really like, and also make sure to bring me my scrolls, which were most likely copies of the Old Testament. Yeah. So you, here, you, here you have Paul, who, you know, may have been waiting for death in prison, and he says, hey, bring me my scrolls. He, he loved it. He was, he was enraptured by the Old Testament is the Word of God. But as we think about the Word of God, it's one thing to talk about, you know, what it means to be inspired and inerrant, and those are very important and and important things to affirm. But first and foremost, it is God's self-revelation of himself to us. You know, we're separated by God visibly and, and in manifest presence in many ways because of sin. Uh, In other words, we don't have the same presence uh, or the same access to God's presence as we did in the garden, or we don't have a a temple where the locus of God's presence can be felt. And and yet the way that God chose to disclose himself to us was through written word that, that we could that we could see, that we could hear, that we can come to understand God through his word. And so 
God chose to, in one sense, mediate knowledge of himself to us through his word, which is why we value it so much. We, again, we don't idolize the Bible itself, but what we use it for is to teach us about God. And we can be confident that it's accurate teaching about God. Why? Because God breathed it out himself. The, the Old Testament is a gift of God to us. God breathed, God given and, and ultimately, we believe, of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, God is showing us how we should read it as well. So first and foremost, the Old Testament is the Word of God. And I would encourage our listeners as well to go to the passage, Tim, that you just referenced in Second Timothy 3.16, and look at all of the things Paul thinks Scripture is worth, right? It's profitable. And look at the list of all the things, and then see that he said all Scripture. When we talk about the Old yes. Testament— Paul said all of Scripture. You can't exclude Leviticus. You can't exclude Song of Songs. You can't exclude the awkward passages, the difficult stories. Um, so going back to what we had yes. said before, it's not something to be ashamed about. Rather, it's the Word of God in its entirety. And that's something, the mindset I think we want to cast as we start off on this podcast journey of how we're going to be approaching the text. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, when we think about what the Old Testament is, uh, and I'm going to tee you up for this one, Brian, we, we know it's also necessary to appreciate the story of Jesus. So tell us a little bit about that. How is the Old Testament necessary? And that's a strong claim, but it's a true claim to appreciate the story of Jesus. As you said, it's a strong claim, but I think it, it makes sense. And we could approach this from a couple different ways. Let me start with an easy one. When you read a story, where do you start with that story? Uh, think of anything that you love. I'm a big fan of like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Pick one of those. All of these stories have a beginning. They have some sort of conflict, complication, and then they have the climax of the story. If you want to appreciate those stories, can you start at the climax? Can you start with Frodo and Sam climbing Mount Doom? Can you start with Luke Skywalker <laughs> blowing up the Death Star? I mean, you could, but... Would you understand what that story was about? Would it mean much to you? You might go, hey, that was kind of cool and interesting, but who are these people? <laughs> to appreciate a story, you have to start at the beginning. The Gospels are the high point of the story of God. But importantly, they're the high point, not the beginning. If you want to understand the depth of Jesus' ministry, you have to go back to the beginning. Otherwise, Tim, right, I think we, we present a Gospel that's anemic. We go, hey, you yeah. need to believe in Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save you from your sins. I'm a good person. I haven't really sinned. Mm -hmm. Why do I need a savior, right? Well, there's this thing called original mm -hmm. sin. I didn't see that in the gospel stories, right? Jesus's message, his life, his ministry is predicated theologically on what's come before. But then once we start getting into the details, we can see it's so much more interwoven. Jesus comes as the God that's not distinct, not different, but he's the God that has been walking with his people for generations, for millennia, and now has come to save them from their sin. That's part of his ministry. He's saying, look, I've, I'm Yahweh. I have been there with you through the Old Testament. Um, yeah. So I think to, to appreciate everything that's going on, you have to read the Old Testament. I'll just give you one practical example. Mm -hmm. After the Last Supper, Jesus leaves. And I don't know, Tim, if this has ever kind of kept you up at night. It's kept me up at night before. I've always wondered, why did Jesus leave? Judas knew he was in that building, so Jesus leaving on the one hand, you could say, oh, is he trying to hide out? Is he trying to uh, forestall his arresting? 
Well, that doesn't make sense because he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And mm-hmm. we're told in John's gospel, at least, that's a place where he's known to hang out. So he's not mm-hmm. doing a good job if he's leaving to go hide from Judas, right? But why did he go to the garden? Why does he pray in that garden, not my will, but yours be done? Mm-hmm. I think this story takes on a whole lot more significance when we put it in the context of the story of God and realize, you know what? There's another garden a long time ago mm-hmm. where people in essence, didn't use these words, but in essence said to God, uh, not your will, but ours be done. We're going to trust yeah. in our own wisdom. We're going to eat that apple. Yeah. And as a consequence of that, death is brought into the world. Now, another representative of humanity is going to be in a garden and say, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm going to take that death to give life. I think there's a lot of, and that's just touching the surface, and that's just one example, that I think you can really start digging into the details and appreciate much more of the story of Jesus. And in fact, it's necessary to understand the story of Jesus. Uh, you have to appreciate what has come before in the old. Wow, that that is a, a great point. And, you know, I, I even think about how the Gospels begin and, and you know, and how Matthew begins not by starting with the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, but by saying this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, you know, and same thing with Luke. So it, mm-hmm. it's, it, I think it's not too strong to say it's necessary, but I love that example you brought up because it's, it's not just, okay, an academic interest in genealogy. It's the power of the gospel. You know, it is, it is the, you know, the, the fullness, you know, uh, we, we have such a truncated view, such an, I love the word you used, the, an anemic view, uh, when we don't see the light that the Old Testament sheds on the new. So, yeah. Brian, tell, tell me a little bit more, too, about this next point we're going to talk about, that the Old Testament is necessary to appreciate the story of history. It's a little bit different than just saying the story of Jesus. So tell us a little bit that. How is the Old Testament necessary to appreciate the story of history? Right. So the high point of the biblical story is the Gospels, but much like the high point of any other narrative, that's also not the end of the story. The story keeps going on. And so the the New Testament rolls out through the first century and, and talks about we have some historical works like the book of Acts. We have letters to the churches. But then the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation, and it talks about how time itself comes to an end, how history itself comes to an end with the victory of God. And we can talk, this is probably a whole nother episode because I don't want to derail us here, but Tim, would you agree with me? You cannot appreciate Revelation without understanding the Old Testament. John is (laughs) steeped in Old Testament and the prophets and Daniel, um, and you'll miss most of the the true meat of that book, if you don't put it in its context. Oh my goodness, yes. And I, I believe, I, I have to go back and look at this, I believe you would know that Revelation is the book that most quotes and alludes to the Old Testament of any in the New. And, yeah. uh, and, and But I, I, I just go back to that idea that it, it's important to identify quotes and allusions and echoes and all of that. But I, I'm reminded Whenever you read the Gospels, it, and, and whenever you read any book in the New Testament, the, the histories as well, there is an assumption that we have that awareness. You know, there is an assumption that, that really the lifeblood, and this is what's so interesting, not just for those of Jewish heritage, but also for Gentiles, as Paul writes to them, 
he expects that Gentiles who follow Jesus have have a basic understanding of the Old Testament. Otherwise, they can't appreciate the the redemptive work that Christ has done for them. And so, uh, but yeah, Revelation is such a great example of that. We we need to do we need to do that. Might be a whole series, Brian. Honestly. That might be a whole series. That yeah, might be absolutely. a whole series. Yeah. So uh, a a narrative that it, so the Old Testament is also a narrative that does not casually give up all its meaning. Uh, in other words, the Old Testament is not always the easiest for at least for us standing removed in time and distance and all the rest. Not always easiest for us to understand. So tell us, tell us how the Old Testament calls us to study deeply and meditate to fully appreciate its message. Right. So narrative is the dominant genre. Uh, it's a story. When we use story in this podcast, uh, Tim, you already, I think, provide this disclaimer. We aren't doubting the historicity or veracity of anything, but we're saying this is how it's being presented. It's being presented as a story. Um, and the interesting thing about stories is we are used to them having a moral to the story, right? I have three kids. Tim, you have three kids. We can tell them bedtime stories. We can give them parables, Aesop's fables. And at the end, there's always a moral. Here's what this story means. The Old Testament uses narratives, right? Mm -hmm. However, the Old Testament almost never includes the moral of the story. <laughs> now, the reasons for that, I think, are at least twofold. First, it's because by not including the moral of the story, it forces us to study deeply and meditate to actually get the point of the story, right? There are some stories that the the point is not just sitting there on the surface to pick up off the ground, as it were. You have to do a little spade work, mm -hmm. right? There are difficult stories that the text is not going to wrestle with the complex kind of meaning that you're supposed to take out of it. It's just going to say, here's the story. And so first, it's going to invite us to study deeply and meditate to appreciate the message. And then second, the Old Testament is often going to give us narratives without attaching its meaning because it wants us to really pick up and wrestle with stories. And the beautiful thing about stories is that much like a diamond, you can often spin them a little bit and you mm -hmm. begin seeing things from different perspectives. You pick up on different layers and levels of communication in the text. Oftentimes there's a very clear primary message, a point you can take out, but then there are also maybe more subtle threads. The Old Testament as a whole has many threads that it likes to weave throughout the text from book to book. And it assumes, actually, that we as readers are smart enough to pick up on those things and are attentive enough to notice that, hey, this phrase in Genesis is picked up again. I'm thinking of when a righteous person is called by God. The calling of Samuel, when he hears God's voice coming out of the temple, he says, here I am. Well, mm -hmm. if we start remembering back, hey, that's what... Moses said. That's what Abram said. That's something yes, that seems to yes. be a common catchphrase of a righteous person responding to the call of God. So it's things like that. As we approach the Old Testament, it's going to call us to, uh, I think it's a phrase you used, Tim, it's going to call us to mine for gold. We aren't going to be able to just go around and pick up every nugget that's available on the surface. Sometimes we're going to need to dig in. Sometimes we're need to go and spend our time uh, wrestling with it to make it valuable and to really get what God wants us to get out of that passage. Yeah. And that's, and that's where the pay dirt is, right? I mean, absolutely. Uh, I, I love, I love that example you used earlier of the correspondence of the gardens, 
right? And, uh, and, you know, when we read the Old Testament, it enables us to understand better the New Testament. Uh, and also, uh, reading the Old Testament helps us to read the Old Testament better and kind of the, the self-references and how it built over time. Um, but that, to me, is what I love whenever we see and we sense uh, it, the coming togetherness of it. Those are the moments when reading the Bible uh, just becomes so fulfilling and, uh, and so full of joy. So uh, that's those what we want to Those aha con- moments, right? Those Where it's like, oh, yeah. that makes sense now. So one last thing that the Old Testament is, and I wanted to throw this in, and this is a surprise to Tim because I didn't put it in the show notes. Yeah, great. Uh, but I want, I want to put this in. The Old Testament is not as long as you think it is. So we've talked in the first episode that the Old Testament is about two-thirds to three-quarters of the Bible, and that's true. But by word count, the Old Testament is not as long as you think it is. So a little bit of background for me, I come from homeschool circles, and in my homeschool circle, the Lord of the Rings was really popular. Tim, have you read (laughs) the entire Lord of the Rings series before? Multiple times, yes. Multiple times. And at least for me growing up, it was like a badge of honor, right? You come out of somewhere. It's like, how many times did you read the Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Are you ready for something interesting? By yes. word count, the Lord of the Rings is longer than the Old Testament. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I, I always like throwing that out there because maybe objection or, or something people think the Old Testament is, it's long and it's hard to get through. And I always want to point out, if you've had the time to read through the Lord of the Rings, you can read the Old Testament in less time. Again, it's going to require maybe more work to dig through it, uh, but it's not as long as you think it is. Perfect. Very cool. Well, listener, thank you for sticking with us through these first couple of episodes. And uh, next time, uh, I know we're super excited for this. Next time, the focus of the episode is going to be the problem of Sunday school eyes. And by that, we mean a lot of us have some familiarity with the Old Testament because of what we learned in Sunday school. You know, those great stories of of David and Daniel and, and several others that tend to pop up in Sunday school or in VBS. Uh, but we want to talk about how we need to go beyond that. Uh, and how we come to an adult understanding of the Old Testament. And, uh, of course, Sunday school is a great place to start, but it's a horrible place to end. So we're going to hit that next time. And uh, Dr. Koning, we're looking forward to coming back for that and uh, to getting it out to you all. So thank you for joining us today. And until next time, stay cool and stay old. <laughs>